Good morning. If you uh, have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Okay, before I read this passage and and pray, I want you to think of the last dumb thing you did. Got it? (laughs) Good. Now the Lord said to Abram, uh, I'm sorry, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When A- I heard that laugh. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Father, as we give our attention to this text, Help us to be oh so careful to not stand in judgment. But Lord, to stand in humility because of your grace. I pray for clarity of thought and that your Holy Spirit would profoundly press the truth and the application of this text deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Two words that are vital words that, to be honest, Dan should have brought up weeks ago. Descriptive and prescriptive. When studying the Bible, especially the Old Testament scriptures, but all of the scriptures, one thing we need to be careful of is as we read and study, we discover that which is descriptive and that which is prescriptive. Meaning this. At times, as you read through the Old Testament, you will see things done, and there's really not an affirmation from God this was good or bad. It's more just descriptive. It's describing what happened. These are the facts, just the facts, ma'am. And as you walk through this, it just tells us what happened and what the occurrence was and the consequences that came from the occurrence. Purely descriptive. Um, one case in point I would give is the case in, in the, uh, the practice of polygamy by some in the Old Testament. If somebody wanted to, they could try to string together a bunch of verses and go, see, the Scripture completely endorses polygamy. 
Now, you'd have to completely reject Genesis chapters 1, 2, uh, and 3, and Ephesians 5, so on and so forth. But they would say, see, there it is. This is where we want to come back and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. It never said that that was righteous, good, or a gift from God. It just says they did it. If everything people did was good, you and I are in deep weeds. No, it's descriptive of what took place. Prescriptive is when it's prescribing how God wants us to follow, what he wants to take from the passage and walk in obedience to. So when you come to, say, a command of the Lord Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, that's not descriptive necessarily, it's prescriptive. And when we see um, things taking place, say, in the life of uh, Samson, we go, that is descriptive. I don't think, I know from other portions of Scripture, God does not want me to live in many of the ways Samson lived. This morning's passage my perspective, my belief, my understanding of the text is descriptive. Now, I want to look at this, and most one of the more important pieces, beloved, as we study this text, is what has taken place thus far in the life of Abraham. Up to this point, Abraham has been called out of the Ur of Chaldeans. God has come to him, plucked him out of an idolatrous people, called him unto himself, and promised him that he will have many children, that he will be a blessing from his seed, every family of the earth will be blessed, and a promise of land that will be his possession. God's come to him out of all the people of the world, selected him, and poured his grace on him. And he promised it. Now, remember, guys, one of the interesting pieces to this is that Sarai is barren. She's not capable of having children. God has come, made this promise, And here's Abraham, married to this woman, fully incapable of having children, and yet promised you will have many, many nations come from you. Now go. Remember, that was the command to to Abraham. If you look at verse 1, chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he's called him to go, and Abram walked in obedience. By faith, in the promises of God, in the trust that God will fulfill the promise, Abram picks up and goes. Impressive up to this point. And as one commentator pointed out, much like when a brand new believer comes to Christ, there will be a few instances in the next months, weeks, years of that individual where that fresh faith will be tested. Do I trust in God? Do I not trust in God? Think about when you became a believer. How many rough patches did you step into with your friends that expected you to act a certain way, but you didn't act that way anymore? How many times did you find yourself wrestling with your own personal sin for the first time in your life? You were bothered by things you've never been bothered by before. Where you were called to stand for Christ when everybody around you was mocking him. God tests your faith. He still does it, even though if you're a seasoned, weathered Christian, God's still testing your faith. Well, it's fascinating to me, within this same chapter, Abraham believes God, packs everybody up, and moves to this land that God will show him. Remember, he doesn't actually tell him where the land is. He just says, go in, and I'll show you where it is. I'll tell you where it is. So you're going, wow. So this guy picked everything up, 
He's moving to follow the Lord. He's anticipating the promise of nations to come out of him and his barren wife to a land that God will show him when he gets there. That takes incredible faith. And then within the exact same chapter, there's a rough patch. If you look down at verse 10, it kicks off with a famine. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So a very severe famine is going on. Egypt was a location to find food and water. And how much discussion did they have before going? I don't know the answer to that question, but it's caused me to wonder, how much discussion did Abram and Sarai have about leaving, about going to Egypt? How much discussion with the servants? How much was going on here? Well, if, there's, if this famine was as severe as it sounds, probably not much discussion. You can starve or go to Egypt. What do you, what do you want to do? And so they pack up and they leave. They head for a place where they can go and find food and water. Pushed out by a famine. Don't, don't miss that. Pushed out by a famine. Now, the, the crux of this passage is the, um, something that Abraham presumes will happen. He thinks this is going to take place. Please notice the game plan is not on the fly. He's not caught flat-footed and has to figure it out. This is premeditated. This is thought through. This will be our game plan because I'm sure this will happen. Verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt... He said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Now, he should have stopped there, right? Just, just stop right there. We're good. <laughs> I, I, uh, I just am curious if at that point Sarai said, and? Because there's something else coming on here. I know you're beautiful. Now, by the way, it's interesting. She's probably around... They, the, the, the estimate from the uh, commentators I'm reading is probably mid-60s. But if you look at the time frame of the lifespan at that time, her mid-60s would be more like mid-30s, okay, for us. So a beautiful mid-30s gal. Um, I married to one of those, by the way. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me. I mean, <laughs> just listen to how he's explaining it. Then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, here's what I want to be careful of. I've heard this talked about much of my life in church as a believer Different Bible studies, different sermons. And I think I could go two ways on this. That would be too far. You go one way where you make him an absolute scoundrel and a fool. You go the other way where you say, this guy's pretty sharp. I don't think either one is necessarily the, the point of the passage, the point of the text. Because as you look at this, the fact is, Sarai is his half-sister. And so, is this a lie? No. Is this complete truth? No. 
It's a half-truth. And I don't know about you, but when my kids and I talk about half-truths, we don't talk about half-truths, we talk about lies. But is she his sister? Yes. So is she telling the truth? Kind of. Because that's not the point. It's not the point of what's being done here. So Abram, his wife, now please remember this, beloved, he's presuming all of this. He's about to enter Egypt, so he's not there yet. And he says to Sarah, his wife, I know that you're beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, we want his wife, kill him, and they'll let you live. So that way you're okay, and I'm dead, and this won't be very good. So I want you to say that you're my sister, then they'll be good to you, and they'll be good to me because I'm your brother. Now you scratch your head for just a second and go, why would they be good to him because he's his brother? Just kill the brother, right? Well, no, in this context, at this time, if there's no father present, the discussion, the negotiation of a dowry would be with the brother. Pharaoh wants her to be his wife. Now, remember, they don't plan on Pharaoh wanting her. They just want, he anticipates maybe someone will say, wow, she's gorgeous, I want her, and I've got 14 of my cousins with me. Kill him, I get the girl. What's your problem? And so Abram says, all right, so the plan is you say you're my sister, then what will happen? Okay, then what will happen? Then they'll start to negotiate with me about a dowry and taking you as their wife. Now, one commentator went a little farther, maybe, but I don't know. But it was an interesting case he made. The case he made was what Abram is doing is he's making a plan here to pause their, their greed or their killing me to, to subdue them for a time so then we can escape and get away. So I have no intention, Sarai, of losing you, but the fact is we're going to go, they're going to offer a dowry, we're going to get into negotiation, and during that time we'll flee. This is our game plan. You ready? Good. Now up to that point, this is where I want you guys to be extremely honest with yourself. That's not a bad plan. It makes sense, right, wives? Please correct me now. But in his mind, this will work. All you need to do is lie and then marry Pharaoh. No, I don't think, uh, in, in his mind, this may have made perfect sense. And this is where I want us to be so very careful. Beloved, have you ever sought to help God, and you thought you had a great plan that would accomplish the task. With no trust. The issue at hand, from my perspective, is that Abe has a faithless game plan. That's a pretty big charge, but just stop and consider the facts. Abraham, I am going to give you and your barren wife many, many children to the point that nations will come out from among you. I'm going to give you a land that I will show you. I'm going to call you unto myself and, break, or, and, and open this covenant with you. These are my promises, even though, Abraham, they seem impossible. These are my promises. I will fulfill these promises. And Abraham says, okay. And then he tries to figure out how he can lie or get his wife to tell a half-truth so that way everything goes well. Where's the promise of God and where's the faith in the promise of God that he would sustain he and Sarai? It's not in the text. 
It's not in the passage. See, the issue is not that he's a, a terrible, horrible husband or that he's some ruthless liar per se. The issue is where's the trust in God to protect? And Sarai goes along with this. This is the game plan. And so this is his, in his mind, this will work out if somebody comes up and they try to hurt me and try to take my wife. What he doesn't plan is that the princes of Pharaoh are going to recognize her and then go brag her up to Pharaoh. Look at verse 13. Uh, read this again. Say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. In other words, you'll still have me and this will all work out. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. This is so interesting. They didn't, they didn't say, wow, she's so attractive and find their attraction. Though they ran to Pharaoh to brag her up to him. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Again, beloved, the, the white part of the text is always the, the hard part, one of the hard parts for me, because I wonder what that whole thing looked like. Now, my guess, not my guess, what's clear from the text is they came up, probably the princes of Pharaoh came to her, said, Pharaoh wants to take you into her house. They discussed with Abram. She said, Abram's my brother. There was a discussion with Abram because there's no father present. And we'll take her to Pharaoh. Now, just stop for a second and consider what's going on in the heart of Sarai, what's going on in the heart of, of Abram, what's going on in the heart of Pharaoh. Think about how messed up this whole situation just got. Why is it so confusing and strange? Because it's based on a half-truth and not on faith and trust in God's promises. Is God capable of protecting Abraham? Hold on a sec. Stick with me on this. Is God capable of fulfilling and satisfying his promise perfectly to the point that he could protect Abraham and Syria? Is there a great need to lie to make God's promise more capable for him to fulfill? But how natural and how common sense does it seem when you think, I know what to do, I'll figure this out. It's like when I used to help my dad work on his car. I would go out with him, he would be working on his car, I would help break something, he would go to the store, buy the new part to repair what I broke and fix it, and I could tell mom I helped. Rather than trusting my father's ingenuity. Now, by his grace... God used my dad to teach me in that moment, much like what's going to happen with Abraham. But when we start saying, God needs me to help him to get all this figured out, I think you're missing the point of the promise of God and God's faithfulness to his covenant. So Abe thought that things would go perfectly. But, oh, by the way, I was thinking, not so honest, Abe. I thought that was funny. Uh, so did Pam, so that's good. <clears throat> Perhaps the idea was to simply buy some time that they might escape. Since there was no father and he, the brother, gets that. Now, 
Look at the passage with me. This is fascinating because this is how basically every commentary that I sought to look at and read, uh, I believe this is what it's communicating. Verse 16. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Camels extremely rare at this point. Now, the argument that, that the commentators are trying to make that I think makes good sense is they were saying this is the dowry. He's not just simply saying what Abram took with him, but saying what he received from Pharaoh. Now, does it say that explicitly? No, not necessarily. But I think that makes a lot of sense because look at what it says right prior before it. It says he dealt well with him and then lists all these things he had. So the, the best guess that they're throwing out there is that, okay, so what happened was there was a lengthy discussion. Pharaoh said, I'm going to give you all of this for your sister to be my wife. So you're completely wealthy. I've got the prettiest girl in town. Everything is now settled. Pharaoh leaves with Sarai. And this is how things work, does it not? Where you think you got away with it. But guess who intervenes? Who intervenes, guys? God intervenes. He intervenes. I've been uh, on this weird kick where I just cannot get enough of Detective Columbo. And watching those episodes, it's always interesting. Um, I realized when Columbo came out, I'll take a little bit of time on this. I realized when Columbo came out, you had to wait. How long did you have to wait, Dennis? I wasn't alive. How long did you have to wait for each episode to come around? Seven Seven days. Okay. So... When you binge watch, not that I've ever done that, when you watch a bunch of episodes together, you start to notice there's a pattern in every single episode, and they're all the same pattern. At the beginning, he's the fool, then he's the nice guy, then he's the pest, then he's the guy that wins. I challenge you, watch every episode, every single episode. He does that. And what is so fascinating is in the middle of about every episode, the bad guy is filled with joy because he thought he got away with it until this guy goes, there's just one more question I have for you. And then he poses that question. And then all of a sudden, the whole thing unravels and he falls apart. At this point, Pharaoh has his bride. Abram's wealthy. What's your problem? And the Lord will not let it stand. Let me remind you, your sins will always find you out. There is no concealment before him. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh. Now, this is fascinating to me, beloved. He does not afflict Abram necessarily. He afflicts Pharaoh. My perspective is that at this point, Abram has already been afflicted because he lost his wife. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house. Remember, there's consequences and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. The Bible doesn't doesn't make you guess at all why there's great plagues, why things are going bad. It's because of Sarai. Just like when Jonah was on the boat, there's a reason for that storm. The reason there's a problem here with, with Pharaoh, these plagues, all this going on. You imagine the discussion, why is this happening? Why is this happening? These plagues are horrific. They're destroying our family. What's going on? Somehow, some way, it comes to his knowledge that the reason is because of Syria. I don't know how that becomes clear to him necessarily. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, 
what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they went and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now, here's the, here's the part that is most interesting to me. When all is said and done, could, Pharaoh, could Abram rejoice that his plan worked? What do you think? He got the girl, took all of his stuff with him. Pharaoh couldn't stop him, right? God was faithful to his commitment. They're both still alive. They're going to have children. All that is still present. This is the tough part, beloved, is when the Lord may not, <clears throat> in the moment exactly, give you clarity about the wrong you've done. Remember, descriptive, prescriptive. If we took this passage as prescriptive, all of us would say, if you get into a tight spot, I want you to tell a half-truth, put your family at, at in danger for the sake of saving your own skin, and then it should come out okay in the end. I wouldn't teach that. That's totally canceled out by the rest of Scripture. So I know this is not prescriptive, but it's descriptive of what happened. And so the end result, I believe, if we were to look at the passage and ask it simply this question, Lord, what do you have for me from this text? My answer is, I believe Abraham, act, his act here was, was faithless. Was, there was no trust in God's protection of he and Sarai. He took it into his own hands. And we ask this question, What's, is it really that big a deal to act as if we were not, or uh, to act faithless? Turn with me to the book of James. <clears throat> James 4.13. If you were visiting with a friend and that friend informed you that they had a new business deal coming up and they've talked to the lawyer, they've put all the things together, they've got this great product that will do some wonders and make everybody happy, and so now they're going to head out to business and they're going to start selling and it's going to be great. Most of us probably wouldn't jump out of our seat condemning them or being irritated with them and their sinful plan. Verse 13. Come now, <clears throat> you who say... Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. No issue with that, for the most part. But God does. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. 
so I come back to chapter 12 and I ask the question, Abram, was there a different way you could, a different path you could have taken that would have been more honoring to the Lord, more protective of your wife? You really think, Abram, you can protect Sarai better than God? You really think that? You think your lies are stronger than God's protection of your wife? So, beloved, I don't think that this makes Abraham an unsaved man. I don't think this makes Abraham a wicked, evil, horrific man. I don't think this makes him a man who was saved and now is not saved. I think this makes him a man who had a test of his faith. And he buckled a bit. Ever been there? Because let's pause for a second and remind ourselves he's still on mission. Abraham is still on mission. Not only that, but can I remind you what happens in chapter 22? Where God says, give me your son, your only son, the one whom you love. You remember what Abraham does? He tells a half-truth. No, he, he doesn't. In obedience, he goes and he almost offers his son Isaac. So I don't believe in any way that we're looking at a man who's not saved, who's not justified by faith. I think simply we have a man who forgot where his trust lies. And so let me touch down here for all of us, if that's the case. I just want to ask you afresh this morning, who are you trusting in? I'm not saying, therefore, we don't have jobs. I'm not saying we don't earn a living. I'm not saying we don't try to walk in obedience. I'm not saying, I'm asking you with the, in the grand scheme, the, the overarching principle of the scripture, who do you trust Do you trust you more than him? Is there evidence in your life right now you trust yourself more than God? Or or some other person more than God? Could you find evidence? Could somebody, if they really got into your life, could they say, okay, so picture this, an investigator comes into your life and you say, I want you to find evidence that I trust anything else more than God. How fast could they find it? I'm not giving this as a, as a guilt trip, guys. It's, that's, please, you know me well, better than that. It's not my point. It's not my objective. This is not a guilt trip. This is the life where you don't trust him is horrible. It's filled with sadness. It's filled with, with, with fear. It's filled with shame. It's filled with half-truths. The life where you don't trust him is, is terrible. So it's not a guilt trip. It's, I've, the, the truth is here. The best thing I have is here. And I find my heart settled for this cheap imitation where I would trade God's precious protection and sovereignty for my scheme. No. No. May God, may He at times afflict us if that's what it takes that I might stop trusting in me. This does not cancel our salvation in any way, shape, or form, but God in His grace disciplines those whom He loves 
And like a faithful father, when my trust leaves my God and then starts to go into me or somebody else or something else, my Father in heaven will graciously afflict me to remind me where trust truly should lie. That's a hard message. It's an even harder lifestyle. But it is one I believe is biblical, and I believe it's the calling on your life, my life, as disciples of Jesus Christ and as the servants of the living God. And so as I do turn our attention to come to the table together, here's, here's what, I, what was so heavy in my heart. Beloved, if Almighty God sent forth his Son to live a perfect life and be crucified on a cross, risen from the dead, ascended to the Father, and will return for his church, if all that has been done by the sovereign king of the universe to conquer death, to satisfy his own justice, so that way his wrath has been poured out on the Son, so that way Dan Mason goes to heaven, if all that's true, then my dear people, why would I not trust him with the day-to-day stuff? Why would I find myself slipping If the gospel's true, and I'm not worried about eternity, then why is my heart so heavy for this life? The answer, I lack trust in God. And so my prayer is that the truth of the gospel could be so pressed deep into my mind and heart that I would find myself at ease in the midst of difficulty. Because if this is true, beloved, there's nothing coming down the pike that I need to walk in fear of. For my king reigns supreme. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of the gospel.